hear anything? No, it. Yeah, I can no, hear no. it, but it's I can't very, hear the very music low at all. Now I can. All right. We Sorry, got I didn't have that aux up. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, no, we need to start over. No way. I like Just it. Just let it no, roll, no, dude. No, no, I'd, I'd rather start over. Oh come on. Yeah, it threw me off. That's all right. Come on, man. Hey, 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 everybody. hey, everybody. <laughs> Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome once again to another action-packed, movie-filled edition of Cult Following. Find us on iTunes at Cult Following. I'm one of your three hosts for this journey into cinematic mayhem. I'm Victor Marino, along with Adam Rakowski. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And Kirby Nelson. Turn my headphones up. Yeah. So... Wow, that we've got our audio issues fixed. We're going to talk about some of the awesome, crazy happenings in the world of film. Remember, you can always meet us, hang out with us, and get to know us every month when we put on cool film happenings, as they said in the 60s, in East, the East Valley of Phoenix. Join us this Saturday for a special memorial edition of Purple Rain tickets at Zia Records. Join us on May 21st for the Silence of the Lambs tickets at Cult Classics AZ and all Zia Records stores and you can always check out our Jump Cut events at The Grid join us on May 27th for Freaked followed by Mystic Circus Freak Show tickets at cultclassicsaz.com and we'll be at Mad Monster Phoenix and the Phoenix Con you can always find out about this stuff by following us on Facebook at Cult Classics AZ, Twitter and Instagram are the same jam. So, on our 35th episode now, guys, it's quite an accomplishment. What do you guys think about that? Is it 35 or 36? I'm pretty sure it's is it it's 35, I think. I thought it was 35 now. Oh. Yeah, 35. Uh-huh. It could be. Yeah, I've been following this, and I could be wrong. I will course correct if incorrect, but I believe we're on 35. No, I think we're 35 because I said... I think the last time we talked about it, I said, oh, we're only 15 to 50. Yeah. And that's that's where you got to hit the half century mark. Oh. I think, you know, age. We, the, you know, as we've been doing this podcast, I feel we've been growing leaps and bounds as, you know, the Ira Glass School of Talking. Chapter one, the small, ta- small talk leading to the main event. But we've had a lot of stuff going on lately. Hey, so you mentioned Purple Rain. Yes. And we have at oh I work at Organ Stop Pizza, and uh, we have a new organ player. Insert from, jingle here from Kansas. Oh, and uh, he's been kind of training on the organ, um, learning the ins and outs of uh, the the because there is a learning curve to playing the the, the mighty Wurlitzer mm-hmm. as opposed to just a regular pipe organ uh, for the last year. But then they finally hired him on in January, and we're just we're really happy to have him. And he's kind of. Um, tied up his loose ends in Kansas, and now he's here, and he's been at Oregon Stop for the last week. Um, and the other organ players are older. I would probably say they're, I, I comfortably say they're probably in their 60s. Uh, but Brett, he's in his early 30s, 
And so he's a little bit more contemporary. Like he'll play like Miley Cyrus songs and Lady Gaga and stuff like that, oh. which is is kind of fun to hear. Uh, but he he learned Purple Rain and he's been playing it all week. Oh, and so every time I hear it, you know, from the other room, from the dining room, I just you know I get a little misty eyed. Yeah, because as mo- as some of you may know, like pretty much half some of, of our, you know, addressing the general listeners, over half our crew is from Minnesota. So this. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, this uh, the passing of Prince. I just thought you were saying was well, you know maybe some of you might not have heard that Prince died. You know, I no, no, say no. that. No, over half our crews from Minnesota, so clearly the death of Prince has hit us all hard here. That's the memorial well, and that's, event, that and we that's put one together. of the yeah, and one of the things about that is is it's a it's a different understanding when you're when you're from Minnesota because he felt like a family member. You knew like everything about him like mm-hmm. all the time, and. After his death, I took that for granted. Yeah. I didn't really... Um, I, I always assumed that the whole world knew everything about him. Yeah. Knew about Paisley Park, knew about it, you know, lifestyle, you know, what he was doing even that afternoon or something. You know, I, I just... He was always around. He was always, like, local news. Yeah. Or it was just a talk amongst friends. Uh, so it was, it's interesting to see national news or even local news here in Arizona, them... Uh, reporting on things that I already knew or that all Minnesotans already knew about Prince. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, for me, it's one of those things that may, of course, like everyone else probably here in our crew and our circle is grew up with Prince. I mean, the two things I will say that um, I do find kind of interesting is, is that, I mean, basically Prince wasn't a star anymore in the commercial sense. I mean, he hadn't been one since maybe the early 90s. I mean, if you really want to, like, assess it. Yeah. Um, and I do find that, but that's what I find such an interesting contrast is how popular he still was, mm-hmm. still selling out venues. I mean, he just did things his, I mean, he always did things his own way. But, I mean, really, I mean, at that time, CD market and stuff like that, the record business was still huge. I mean, this is the pre-internet era. Right. And he basically just left it. I mean, not only because of the disputes with his label, but because of, I mean, that his own thing was he just kind of moved on to the next mm-hmm. plane. I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't necessarily digital music or anything else. It was whatever the hell Prince wanted to do. And, I mean, that's, I think it's kind of like a David Bowie, too, I mean, who we also lost this year. I and mean, we've lost a lot of people, mm-hmm. I mean, especially from our generation stuff that are considered, you know, our iconic revolutionary and I think one of the big things with him is he's another guy who, I mean, he wasn't really popular anymore as a musician, but he was somebody who transcended it. I mean, mm-hmm. just transcended so many artistic mediums. Um, but, I mean, I just thought about that with Prince. But then, of course, you know, you know, maybe on the good side and then on the fair weather side, I mean, of course, I walk into Zia last week. and I mean, it's just filled with uh, people coming in to ask for Prince records. And your mm-hmm. hope is, hey, you're really here to either reconnect with this music that you don't remember, or you're really trying to, um, uh, you know, you just really, you want to get into him. Maybe you didn't know about him. Or what does your cynical side say? Buy well, it for course, eBay? Buy it for eBay. But that's but that's the way things. And the only other thing I got to say, too, is I'm, a, I'm an absolutely awful guitarist. I'm not, I'm not going to speak here like I actually know what the hell I'm talking about. But the one thing I do know, uh, like all the technicals and specifics, is Prince is probably one of the greatest guitar players who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the few things that, yeah, it was reported on. Yes, it was always mentioned and stuff. 
but Prince really was a good guitarist. I mean, phenomenal. And he really isn't recognized, I mean, by those in the know, yes, but by the general populace outside of maybe like a Minnesota or out of that genre of music, do people really think a Prince? I mean, well, he's a phenomenal drummer. He was too. Keyboard player, he piano did everything. player, everything. But I think of his guitar playing because I love playing guitar, even though I'm not very good. It really is just one of those things where you listen to some of the ideas he had um, and just the way he did things, the way he designed his guitars and stuff. Again, technical know-how and talk and shop, I'm not even going to try. But I am going to say he is one of those, I remember hearing music and, and for, you know, R&B and funk and things like that, we consider in a very narrow vision now. Mm -hmm. I mean, but back then in his heyday, I mean, his classic hits i mean you got to know how guitar driven they were which is just wasn't common sure i mean that was kind of the end of that area and it was now moving on to synth and drum machines and you know the merging of r&b and hip-hop or the evolution and um uh the two separating a little bit more mm -hmm. but uh i don't know those are just the the first two things i really thought of with prince and wanted to express them so oh, yeah yeah mm-hmm no, it's interesting the, the the riff you were taking early on, like you know people buying his music and what was the. I think a lot of it is this reconnection thing. Um, one of the movies I was watching this past week, weirdly enough, unrelated to this whole thing, was this uh, documentary the BBC did. It was I think it's called Orion, and it's about uh, this guy. Uh, his name is Ellis, and. Uh, he was signed to Sun Records, like right around the time that uh, Elvis Presley died, and uh, basically his voice sounded exactly like Elvis when he sang. And they signed him to like Ghost on a lot of their old masters for like Jerry Lee Lewis and stuff, and so basically acting like he was Elvis on these old masters that Sun found. But then they tried to promote him as like maybe Elvis because he would go out and perform with like a mask on. Yeah. And uh, he'd draw crowds of, like, you know, hundreds of people all around the country. But as soon as he took the mask off, like, a few years into the career he had, uh, that all dried up. And he just became somebody who kept changing his name and trying to build a career. But it's just, like, people just wanted to, like, connect with that music and think they were in, like, you know, re reliving that kind of a happening with like elvis oh, yeah. being in concert you know it's the same reason that like really good tribute bands mm -hmm. like uh you know bad fish that sublime band get huge crowds because they're doing the music really faithfully and people who missed out still want to connect to it somehow. yeah and i'm just laughing going he could have had his residency at casino arizona and yeah. he just didn't know no, and I, I watched that documentary last week too, and I thought it was really interesting. And it also brings up like with the with the tribute bands. There's um, the while back, I don't know, maybe about five years ago, they were looking for somebody. The Queen was looking for a new front person, mm -hmm. and there was this guy Mark Martell, who I mean, you if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, and he kind of looks like Freddie Mercury yeah. too in some ways, but his voice is just spot on. And and I find myself. At times, just going and, and watching the the YouTube audi audition that he did, um, just periodically, just going, my gosh! I mean, but they only did maybe did a few short tours with him. Uh, he has like his own band, uh, but uh, who are they with now? That Adam 
Lambert. Uh, yeah, I think. from uh, American yeah. Idol. American Idol guy. Yeah. Oh, from Maroon. Been... Oh no, from oh yeah, you are right. I'm sorry. I'm thinking yeah. of uh, what's his name from Maroon Five. I was like, that sounds real odd, but you are right. I'm Lambert. Yeah. Well, they had Paul Rogers from. Foreigner, well, they had a few, few different foreigner. people. That in. was like the first one, and people were like really shocked that they picked him to do yeah. that first kind of comeback. But I saw the uh, – hmm, i trying to remember his name. I want to say it's Gary Mullen, the One Night of Queen or something like that. But he's done – I saw it at um, Celebrity Theater years ago, and he was sick. You could tell he was visibly not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Still put on a two-hour show and sounded phenomenal. Yeah. So he and he looks a lot also like uh, Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's his name. If I'm wrong, please. I I really don't remember. But I got you know one of those Groupons for like five dollars, and it was definitely worth the five dollars for the show. I mean, yeah. You know, I never got to see Queen. I never got to see Prince. I was very bummed. Years ago, I was ready to throw the th- two or three hundred dollars down to go see him at Marquee Theater. Wow. I saw him for twenty bucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paisley Park. you can go fuck yourself. Anyways, <laughs> um, but I mean, but I also, I eternally have the bragging rights to see Nirvana's last American show. So we all got yeah, our own thing. Our thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I think because he was such a consummate entertainer, I think that that's why I'm always disappointed that I didn't get to see him. But, you know, at this, you know, I still get to enjoy his music and stuff. And I do think the tribute band thing you know, obviously has picked up huge over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there always was well-known tribute bands, and now it's, but it's like, it's not just for state fairs and casinos anymore. I mean, people, Right, no, yeah, it's like big, big, big business, business now. Yeah, I mean, spanning all genres and all kinds of music now. I, I, you know, and some, like I said, I've seen them, or like you said, watch YouTube clips, and I'm just like, wow. Yeah. What, what a talent. But I, I definitely want to check out that documentary now. Yeah, I remember when there was Netflix. there was uh, there's the Credence uh, tribute band that's been around for at least a couple decades, if not longer. And again, it's one of those things. If you close your eyes, you wouldn't even know. They even released a record of you know of of the tunes. Again, I think once all that lawyer stuff was all kind of figured out, like ten years ago, they released a re- the the tribute band released a record, but it didn't necessarily say it was a tribute band. Oh, interesting. And I bought it and I was listening to it. I thought it was just like remasters or maybe the guys, you know, like, you know, buried the hatchet and mm-hmm. got Fogarty back and they were, you know, doing like this this live record. Yeah, buried the hatchet in his back. I mean, I, I don't yeah, think it's yeah, possible. Right. Yeah. But you are right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I never heard that one, but I'll definitely check it's, it out. It's now. still a good record, regardless. It's mm-hmm. just nice to hear it's like with, with clarity. You know, it's it's cleaned up. It's well, I think that's the know, big current. the big part of the tribute band thing is bands that either have legal spats or obviously deceased members are the ones that most people want to see, right? Because yeah. they know, especially on the latter, that they're never going to see it. So, mm-hmm. and some will say, well, it's a shallow imitation or it's cheap and. You know, it's fine, but there's plenty of people who never saw Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett either. So it's not like, you know, I mean, there are people who say, well, that's the only real version that ever existed. And it's like, well, it's all a matter of opinion in the end. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, but cool stuff. What else you been checking out, you guys? Who do you want to go first? Or? Uh, Yeah, I don't have much at all. 
Uh, I watched. Well, I was very, very happy to see that uh, you know Netflix may now everything's starting to kind of trickle out all the new stuff. Uh, I was tempted in renting Twisted Fucking Sister. Uh, I don't know last month when it came out on VOD. I'm glad that I waited because now it's on Netflix. I already pay for Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. I really enjoyed it. It there was a lot of things I didn't know about Twisted Sister before. Um, you know, the, I guess the seminal record that really broke them into the U.S. Well, really one of the only first records that they did after being a band for, you know, 10 years before. Uh, they were Spinal Tap. They, they were complete. Have you guys watched it yet? No. Um, everything. Well, I don't I don't even know where to go with it. It's it's good. See it. Okay. They were already like a band for like ten years before they're, um, you know, we're not. I do remember hearing that, that, like yeah. that they were a band. They're se- in this the seventies. East Coast, yeah. um, you know, they were they were all glitter rock. They were influenced by like New York Dolls. Um, I could see, you know, that. David Bowie, but they mostly stuck to the East Coast. Um, they've had a lot of record deals that fell through, so, but they were they were packing like six thousand seat arenas and stuff without a record. They maybe had like two, two or three forty-five singles, and that was it yeah. for like ten years before, you know, they actually kind of wiggled their way through to Atlantic. Very it's just a, a really interesting rise, and they talked to you know all the all the players, you know, D. Snyder's there, the guitar players are there. They talked to the different bands that they used to go on tour with, or um, that would. Uh, well, they would end up headlining, you know, these other bands, like Zebra would already be like a big band at that time and have a record and that was selling. But anytime they came to the East Coast, Twisted Sister would be the headliner. Mm. They're like, what? Well, this is backwards because they don't even have a record deal. <laughs> How is this I possible? Just, I read a really um, interesting book. Um, I picked it up at Bookman's for like a dollar. Very nice and hardback, but it's, um, I'm sure there's been more than a few written, but I never read this one was, uh, it's a, a biography of Guns and Roses mm-hmm. and a huge chunk of the book is you know about the appetite I think most of it's about the appetite for destruction era as I recall because I've read a couple Guns and Roses books but it's um about their tour with the cult mm-hmm. and how they basically simultaneously were like completely hated by the cult fans but at the same time blew people away and as their you know uh notoriety was growing their fan base was growing stuff like it's just very interesting to see how they had this great relationship with the cult but they hate the cult hated them you know Mm -hmm. it's very odd but we talk about that like blowing people i always think about i always find stories about that interesting or like when a band ends up on like a used to be like a Lollapalooza or now more like a warp tour or you know those kinds of things when they would become like a number one right charting band and it's like Oh, you're still on tour. You were playing for like people 3 p.m. in the parking lot, and now you know, now you're on nine o'clock main stage. I always find that really interesting as like a mu- musical history buff. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember there was a. I know it, it, there was it, Pantera was not headlining, um, but I don't. You know what? I don't remember who the headliner was, but I remember that I wanted to see the headliner. It may have been Prong. But I'm not sure. And every time I've seen Prong, um, you know, in, in like kind of you know a modest sized club, well, it's, it was always First Avenue in Minneapolis. Uh, 
the, because they're a three piece, they're always pretty quiet. They're they never really were real loud. I mean, because they are kind of they're a little bit prog, so it was more of kind of the technic technical aspects of it. Um, but if it if it was, let's just say it was. Pantera went on before them, and usually when bands play, they have the headliner as the loudest group. Like they just that's when they you know they just flick the switch and everything just is like at maximum volume. Peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the opposite when I saw Pantera. Well, Pantera blew me away, and this was before this was after Cowboys from Hell came out and before uh, Absolute Power. Vulgar right? display, a, a of vulgar power. display of With power. Yeah, that's power, man. Is Absolute Power? Um, and I, I, I was so numb after Pantera played. I had to go out and I had to, I had, well, I had to get Cowboys from Hell, and then I was waiting for the next one to come out. I said, okay, I'm sold on these guys. But that was one of the things where it just like blew them out of the water. And where they 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 were they could have been perfectly comfortable being the headlining group, and once the next band came, whoever was headlining, half the place cleared out. Yeah, so it was like the real diehard like Pantera people, because really I think the only exposure they had was maybe on Headbangers Ball. They kept just rotating, you know, through like Cowboys from Hell, Cowboys from Hell, uh, just the song itself. And people are like, wow, this is like really interesting. You know, yeah. it's a little different. But the songs that they were playing that night were more from the vulgar display of power, which is like heavy as shit. And so it it, it even elevated even more because that's you know where the direction was shifting to. Um, yeah, I can't cool. even begin to imagine hearing domination twenty five years ago. I mean, I heard Pantera and like uh, vulgar display of power. I got that record when it came out. Yeah. Um, but they. It just blew me away, like how heavy they were at the time. I mean, that's one thing with like that kind of music was just. Yeah. I mean, that's when I started getting into metal and hardcore. Well, I and can't imagine seeing them though, like as an opening act, how heavy it must no, have been. It was like so cool, and so in a intense. smaller club. But that was the last time you saw them in that small of a club, club. after yeah. that tour. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Anything else you check out recently? Um, a uh, new Game of Thrones is playing. Yeah, I haven't seen the second episode, but I watched the first one, and I'm like totally into it. Lots of stuff happens. Lots of stuff happens, but you know what? It allowed itself to breathe well. I thought. Oh, lots of stuff than... happens on the second one. Okay. This is like I, I was telling I was telling Ruby like, man, this is weird watching this show where there's like so much like plot movement. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, what the hell's going on? They're not pacing anything. You know, well, you know, they're trying to. I'm on season two. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I can't keep up with shows. It's but it's I, pretty funny if we spoil the show for you, you wouldn't even know what we're talking about <laughs> well, at this no. point. Oh, I'm sure about not. characters that haven't even showed up yet. Well, I just remember somebody <laughs> telling me, you know, I have friends who are fans and stuff, and they didn't know I hadn't seen the show, and they were just kind of talking. And I think this was around the Red Wedding episode. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, don't worry. Everybody dies, but you don't even know who everyone is yet. So you're going to be okay. And I was like, yeah, Pretty sounds much. about right. Because yeah. I remember watching just, I just watched the first season maybe like a few months ago. And I just remember reading a story one time that, um, or an article where, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin had hired his leading fan site operator to be the individual who literally. Like uh, keeps it all in check for him. Uh-huh. Like keeps all the continuity oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the characters. Oh and man, like, they they have this show now on on uh, HBO now called After the Thrones. It's like their version of Talking Dead. The, yeah, and they have to have a map oh. on screen. Yeah, it says where all the characters are, just so you can follow what's going on. 
Yeah, I mean, he like did the was it cartography and stuff like all the real time movements, family lineage, you know, all the genealogy, so that all makes sense. I mm -hmm. mean, like because he couldn't keep up anymore. Right. Like he's like, I have too many characters. People are coming to con conventions and appearances, and they're telling me shit, and I don't understand it anymore. <laughs> like I just don't because he just made it's too yeah. big of a world. Yeah. I'm really good with like character names and stuff, but then like. A season will go by, and I'll be like, oh, that guy. What's his name? Davos. And I'm like, yeah, he's, like, one of the most important characters. Like, there's just so many characters, you just, like, forget who people are. Oh, yeah, no, Anne does that to me all the time. She's really good with names. She's really yeah. good with the show. Uh, she's read a, a couple of the books, or at least the the first one and maybe second half of the, the yeah. second one. but Or first half of the second one. Anyways, we were watching uh, the first episode of this season, and she goes, "Well, what about so and so?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't know what that. I mean, I recognize the name, but I can't put the face yeah. to the name because it's just too much." Well, the it, thing about it too is, you know, you can't get attached to anybody on this show. So it's well, like if it, I start yeah, I learning even names, know, that's well, the thing. Like, yeah. I don't even know. Like, there's like uh, right now where they're at Castle Black, mm -hmm. and it's Jon Snow's buddy mm -hmm. that isn't Sam. Right. I didn't think he would last this long, so I never learned his name. I'm right. just like. You know, it's Jon Snow's buddy who isn't <laughs> Sam. You know, the yeah. other guys are all dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. But that's—I don't know. I don't think I've—I've I've really watched anything else. I've been kind of rewatching a bunch of stuff, just in general, just to keep my brain happy. But mm -hmm. we have uh, the riff tracks of Time Chasers is on Thursday, so they're doing the broadcast thing over um, Fandango. Oh, they're doing another event? Mm -hmm. We're at Cinemark? Yeah, we're going to the Cinemark just because they have the loungers. I haven't even heard, hadn't even heard they were doing one. That one's not getting a lot of online press, I guess. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, the big thing is just they're, they're having the big reunion with all the Mystery Science Theater people. Yeah. Um, at the State Theater in Minnesota, but then they're going to have, when is that? That's uh, next month, I believe. Hmm. That they're gonna same thing. It's gonna be broadcast. I don't know what what they're gonna do. If they're gonna do a, a movie, a riff, or if they're just gonna sit around and Q and A or what. That'd be but cool. I already got my tickets for that. Nice. So that's all the stuff you've been watching lately. Yes, I'm. Okay. Uh, I got a short list. Short list. Uh, I watched uh, the death of Superman Lives. What ah, happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Awesome. It's actually really good. I loved it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, by the end where they're showing the final costume tests with the real wig and everything. Yeah. He looks really good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I, I By the end of it, I was like, I probably would have enjoyed this movie, you know. But that dude who's uh, – it's been a while since I watched it. But who's the crazy guy who's like, I want spiders and I want – Oh, John Peters. Yeah. Yeah. That was really funny. Because wow. like, At first, you were kind of on board with the dude. Or, you know, you're kind of listening to him, like, you know, he had all these ideas or whatever. But then it just, like, went into this weird pit of, like, I don't know what kind of descriptive I could use well, for it. Well, to me, the really interesting thing was when they were, talk you know, talking to Wesley Strick, who was one of the co-writers of Batman Returns, mm -hmm. who uh, Tim Burton had hired to work on him in the Superman Lives movie. Right. And one of the first things he was saying is, like... He really wanted to challenge himself by doing, like, a Superman movie, which would be, like, the antithesis of all his dark movies. But he hated John Peters because yeah. 
he felt that he was very controlling oh, yeah. as a producer. Oh, yeah, you learn And that. you're not really getting that at first until you start hearing about, like, you know, he's talking about the first Batman movie. And they were talking about, like, you know, the iconic scene where, like, you know, he picks up the, the criminal right when he does his first, you know, warehouse takedown. And yeah. he's like, who are you? And then Michael Keaton goes, I'm Batman. And then uh, John Peter said, well, originally I was pushing for Tim to say, I'm Batman, motherfucker. But then the <laughs> studio made me cut out the motherfucker. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. And then, like. He was talking about things he was trying to push in the Superman script. Like, he wanted, like, one of the things you get is that a Superman suit is like, a, like spawns. It's, it's, yeah, it's a living, living symbiote. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, one of the things I was trying to push in here is like the cape is its own character. Like, he could throw it at people and like decapitate villains with it. And then when you hear this kind of thing, and what you have to realize that John Peters is one of the people who's pushing for, uh, Batman versus Superman to happen in the 90s. Mm -hmm. That's why it's in I Am Legend, which is one of the movies he produced later on. You can kind of understand how, like, Man of Steel and, like, you know, the Superman v. Batman or Batman v. Superman thing happened where, like, oh, superheroes killing people isn't that big of a deal, mm -hmm. you know? And it's bizarre, especially, especially, especially when how much they, like, you know, like Kevin Smith, they interview him and is like, he wrote this like script that was basically an adaptation of like the death of Superman arc, and he right. went to talk to John Peters about it. And he said like three things: I don't want Superman to fly, I don't want him to wear the Superman <laughs> so suit, and he has to fight a giant, giant spider, spider. You know, and then you realize, you know, when Kevin Smith finishes the story, and it's like, well, they put it in Wild Wild West, right? Yeah, and he's like, I guess I just really wanted that to happen. <laughs> It's, it's just so a really weird. it's a really good movie. I liked some of the thing ideas that they had in there too. Like yeah. the idea, like they said that like uh Christopher Walken would play Brainiac, mm -hmm. you know, but eventually would merge with like Lex Luthor, which I thought was a cool idea, which they ended up actually doing in uh the animated series. Okay. Where like Brainiac and like uh Lex merged into one being. Um but uh, one of the things I thought was funniest in the in the documentary was like they had built this elaborate model for Brainiac's ship, mm -hmm. and one day before they officially shut down production and everything would go back to the studio, he showed John Peters showed up and took it, and now it's in his house. Like that seems really petty, you know? It's like yeah, mine. Yeah, I did. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of screws loose there. It's like a you know a, a a kid in a toy store, you know. It's and he has enough clout to say, "Well, I want this done. I want that done." Yeah, but to me, but, I think you know. I don't even know if he even even opened up you know the comic book. I mean, uh, his his vision are visions. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of like living delusionally. Yeah. It, it just seemed like he had very odd ideas. Yeah, and very yeah. firm on them, too. He was like the prince of producers. Yeah. It's like, well, if I can't get this person to do it, I'll get somebody who will. Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, I think one of the things I thought was funniest Not was... Not to say uh, that prince was delusional at yeah. all, you know. But. <laughs> one of the things I thought was funniest, how uh, Lorenzo DiVanaventura, who mm -hmm. was head of Warner Brothers at the time... They kind of portrayed him as like the voice of reason at the studio. Yeah. But like now he's most famous for producing all the um 
Transformers movies, and right. he's talking about, oh, it's how weird, how possessive, and you know, John Peters is, and he gets all the stuff from his movies. Meanwhile, they're interviewing him behind his giant wall of Transformers yeah. collectibles. You know, like pot kettle black much. Oh, it's such a good documentary. It's really it good. Again. Like I think the thing, my my favorite thing about it was just like how bitter Tim Burton is about it. Oh yeah. Because like I would not have got I I would that's one of those things I'm like I guess if you spend like two to three years developing a movie, but then he really talked, especially when Wesley Strick is talking about like uh, he really hated how Joel Schumacher like destroyed the Batman franchise, and then right. he just grew to resent him even more because him fucking up Batman is what killed the Superman movie. Mm-hmm. So I'd really hate Joel Schumacher then. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joel Schumacher has basically been completely run out of Hollywood, so I don't think he uh, it matters much. I mean, the last Joel Schumacher film was actually not bad. I saw years ago it was Blood Creek, mm. and, you know, it's kind of like a like a Nazi zombie kind of movie, kind of weird backwoods. Not great or anything, but not bad. But, you know, at the same time, it's one of those films where you're like, yeah, anyone could have also made this. It's like, man, you fell off fast. Like, within 10 years of your major, like, arc of your career, it was basically over. From, like, Lost Boys to Batman and Robin, basically. See, you would have thought, I I would have thought he would have been someone like Robert Zemeckis who would just, like, maybe show up Every do few something years. you know interesting every few years and you know go back into his little cubby. Well, the same thing kind of like with Ron Howard. They kind of just do their own thing. They're right. like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make the movie I'm gonna make no matter what, mm-hmm. and that's it. I mean, because there's different gradients of that. It's like, I mean, I saw the article on uh, James Cameron going off on his Avatar universe, and it's like, I, I mean, my main number one thing hope with The Force Awakens is like, please be the first billion dollar weekend movie worldwide. So you can knock both Titanic and Avatar out, period. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely, I mean, I, of course, I love the classic films. I think James Cameron is probably the biggest asshole in Hollywood, like in the biggest piece of shit. His whole attitude, I, I truly feel, is not to make anything good. It's to make billions it, and millions and billions. I don't even think it's money. I think it's just his 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 ego. His ego and his attitude is I don't even necessarily want to make good films. I want to convince you that they're good films. My I whole, want to brainwash people because I haven't actually made a good film in so long. Well, my whole thing is like I think his uh, documentaries that he does about you know the Titanic and deep sea exploration are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if he did if he stopped making films and did that kind of a thing, that'd be really awesome. I'm not interested at all in seeing four more Avatar movies. I don't even. Um, I think Birth Movies Death did like this. Once they announced he was going to do four, they did an article as like, uh, rest in peace, uh, James Cameron's directing career. Because he's like, when you sit down logically and think of how much prep he's already spent on these movies, which has been like, at this point, seven years. And it takes like, what, three, you know realistically like three years between two to three years between movies so like seven plus like 12 i mean you're looking at his career is tied up for the next 20 years in these movies so he's never gonna make a real movie again and to me avatar was sold almost exclusively on its visuals and its exhibition i mean it's fern gully it's not a fucking good movie 
like story wise. And he's waited too long to do it. Like that's 3D what I mean too. his three D is like totally lost the sheen of like, ooh, wow, you know? Every once in a while I'll see like a movie that's cool in three D. But I feel like the last movie I really thought I saw in three D that only worked in three D was like Hugo. You know? Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's no movie I can say, Yeah, it's better if you watch it in three D. Speaking of yep. making movies for me kind of thing you know what i mean like hugo it's like a total passion project it yeah. has nothing to do with oh, i hope i make money off this or yeah I, I care what anyone thinks yeah it was his love letter to film same thing with uh what was the other one they did tin tin too you know mm-hmm. oh, just yeah. like i just make a movie because i love it like this is not a modern character and i don't i don't really peter just, jackson i feel is very similar to uh james cameron in this boat too like i don't really consider him a filmmaker anymore like he he hasn't done a real movie that like feels since like the frighteners like the lovely bones and king kong are just like he got hooked on cgi and that's it yeah it's a little sad yeah uh what else did i see i saw uh this anthology horror movie called holidays um you know, like I saw Southbound not too Is it long with ago. a Z at the end? No. Oh, it's okay. it's holidays like basically each, each story each is, story you know. takes place on a holiday or is thematically tied to a holiday. So like Valentine's Day, yeah. Easter. Yeah, there's a Valentine's Day, there's an Easter, there's a Christmas, New Year's Eve. Um, some of them work better than others. Which is usually the case yeah, in um, anthology movies. Kevin Smith does Halloween, and it's like the most disappointing like Kevin Smith thing I've seen ever. You know, he's, he's got to slow down on the pot. It this feels like something like very similar to Tusk, where like pot. he just kind of sat around like, wouldn't it be funny if literally has nothing to do with Halloween except for like the story is like happens on Halloween, but there's mm-hmm. no like halloween see i like you know i like kevin smith and i'll still watch his movies and i understand what they're going to be like i know what tusk is going to be and how yeah the germination of that you know but i find it really kind of i i guess i'll say funny that you know jason muse cleaned up and then kevin smith just got deeper yeah, and that... because because Kevin Smith wasn't, I mean, he admitted that he you know would smoke pot, but yeah. he wasn't like wake and bake like it seems he promotes now. Yeah, no, he this movie's like a the, the, his chapter in this is total like a stoner movie with like a pimp that's played by the guy from Epic Meal Time, and his daughter is one of the main characters, and it just seems like a what's the next one? The hosers. Yoga hosers. Yoga, yoga yeah. Hosers. So he's just pretty much just doing stuff to With Harley himself. and um, uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp's, Depp's daughter. Daughter, so and so. Yeah. Flower, uh, flower child. The best, yeah, I think the best skit in here uh, is called Father's Day, and it has uh, the girl from House of the Devil in it. Not Greta Gerwig, but the main girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, she gets a cassette tape delivered to her house telling her. How she can meet up with her father who disappeared in a cult when she was nine and she's following the directions. And it's shot really atmospherically. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of uh, The Beyond. Um, And it had, you know, so I thought, man, I would love to see this as like a full feature. I almost felt like it was wasted. And there, the Easter one, it's like this girl who, uh, 
I forget who did who did this one, but basically this little girl, her mom is telling her to go to sleep because it's Easter, and then she's scared of the Easter bunny and Jesus. And she's like, go to sleep so you'll see the Easter, you know, you're not supposed to see the Easter bunny. And then the Easter bunny in this is basically like a cross between Jesus and an anthropomorphic <laughs> rabbit. And it's really freakish and weird. But it's really, the, the, the practical effects on it are really interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then the, there's Won't one. Won't tell them all, man, because now I'm like, kind of like, oh, I really wanted to see no, this. No, no, I'm not trying I'm like, to spoil it. <laughs> I, like, I'm not telling you what the stories are about. Oh, I know, but yeah, it would, that would have probably freaked me out a lot more had I known it was yeah. like, I would not have been expecting Jesus. Yeah. I was expecting like the Easter Bunny. Yeah. I was expecting Peter Rottentail. I was like, actually, you know, it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid was the uh, Easter Bunny from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. And I was like a 12 or 13-year-old kid, and I wasn't scared of, like, things. But that just was so unsettling yeah. to me as a kid. But, yeah, I will say not to spoil uh, – the one with Seth Green in it, which is based on Christmas, is also really good. So how many stories is it totally? Um, I think there's, like, six. So, like, 20 minutes yeah. each, roughly? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really want the Mother's to see it. Day one is the worst one. Once you see it, I'd like to talk about that because, we'll like, do. yeah, is that a VOD thing or is that? Yeah, it's on VOD. Okay. You can oh, also get it in it stores. It came out like a week Recently? or two ago. Oh. Yeah, like a week or two. I've been mean. That's one of the first VOD ones I've really wanted to watch. I um just always. I think get South. Up. Yeah, I'll say I think Southbound is probably better overall. Well, my favorite. I mean, like I said last year was Tales of Halloween. I really did enjoy. And I'm glad anthologies are just my favorite, but yeah, I've I've heard mi- definitely mixed reviews on the uh, on holidays so yeah. far. I'd yeah, I'd say it's like half good, half bad. So uh, I saw Keanu from review is up now. Yeah, you can read the review on Cult Following. I'd say it's the funniest movie this year so far. Probably funnier than Deadpool. But I, the one thing I say I will say is like I think it's hilarious how both. Deadpool and this movie are prominently featured George Michael music. He needs to jump on that boat and take advantage <laughs> of it. Duly noted. And um, Green Room I saw from uh, Sar- Jeremy Saunier. Who did- yeah, I still actually know how to pronounce yeah, his name. I, think I keep it- meaning to listen to like an interview or something where yeah. he's going to pronounce I it. I think that's how you say it. Who so also the- did Blue Ruin, which I have not seen. And he did uh, Murder Party, was his first uh, big feature. He that's still good. works on other movies. This is probably going to be the one that's going to break him out. Yeah. And, uh, wow, this movie was really not what I was expecting. Um, but it's, re- it's really interesting, you know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, review up now on that one. I, I did. Uh, Victor had other obligations, so I'm going to the press screen for that one. And... Um, I I said in my review and the best way I can describe it is that um A24 the studio that picked it up and put it out is just killing it this year. The mm-hmm. Witch is probably my other favorite film of the year and then The Green Room. It's like Oh yeah, pull, what's your trifecta? I can't remember what pull, the third one is. Oh, I'm for. really they showed the, the trailer Swiss for Army? Swiss Army Man. Yeah. Dude, and Swiss I Army really Man looks really good. I'd never seen the trailer at all. I'd heard I all the Paul ruckus Diana. at Cannes that it was it was or con yeah, it's going to be so bad. And um and then I like watch the trailer. I'm like, this looks amazing. It's this like looks- a weird magical realism the, kind the of thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, I was like, this is like the movie Tim Burton would have made like 20 years ago uh-huh. if he, you know, 
didn't keep making yeah, the same movie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, in a lot of ways, it, like, reminded me of Big Fish in a way. Yeah, that's, the, that's what I was yeah. going to say, yeah. Well, and then it was kind of, and it almost seems like the movie I wish Tideland would have been, too. Oh, okay. And kinda, I, I mean, kind of that, uh, you know, the dark fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the just scenes. visually striking. Like, yeah, that too. I was like, wow, this looks like a totally different kind of filmmaking. And um, so I'm just really interested in that. But um, you can check out my review and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I really, I, a couple people have asked me, like people at work or people I know, friends and stuff. And I said, I said, you know, it's a horrific film, kind of like yeah. The Witch is. But I said, it's a siege movie. If you like, like, Assault on Precinct 13, Taking mm-hmm. a Pelham 123. Um, you know, all these kind of movies, old Westerns, you know, kind of things where it's a siege, it's a shootout, it's a, you know, showdown. You're going to love this movie. It, uh, First Blood is another movie I thought yeah. after I did the review that was like, I, so basically I, the hallway yeah. scene from old boy just over and over and over. Uh, it's kind of, yeah. No, there's some spots in there. Yeah. yeah. I, my whole thing with this movie is like, I like it. I wonder if I would like it more if it was less visceral. It's a weird complaint. Like, it's not really a complaint, but I almost feel like it's really, really gory. And there's a few points where I feel like it, like it's too much. And, like, it, I feel weird saying that. Like, I almost felt like there's a few places where, like, judicial editing would have kind of, like... I feel like less is more. It's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I feel like is a really good movie, but if you rewatch it, you know you don't really see anything. Right. It's just cut in a way where you can like visualize it, and this like puts it out there for you. Yeah, I think that that is it, it's one of its advantages. I love it as a gore hound, but I do think probably yeah with anything they could have done without it. The one thing I liked about this film, and it's really weird observation to make but i i do think this is so important because i'm so tired of it in films it's almost become comical as opposed to realistic but it's like people fall Mm -hmm. people trip people like scramble you know i mean especially in like a state of fear i mean like it's not going to be logical or or uh, any kind of real um you know it's gonna be the first thing from like mechanical or uh graceful kind of movements like there's a lot of scenes in this movie where i was like wow that's probably what i would have done like yeah. when you're honest with yourself not going i'm billy badass kind of thing because i'm like nah, that's not what it would have happened it's um and uh you know because i think that that's one thing like always like shows like the walking dead people yeah. are like god i'd be running the apocalypse and i'm like no you nah. wouldn't there's a lot of it's things like, you wouldn't be doing does, anything does like uh realistic wounds i feel are done in this movie a lot like oh yeah that probably really would happen and you know it seems like a weird thing to mention but you know i i get tired of watching action movies where somebody gets stabbed or shot and then they like ah and then two seconds later it's like no big deal right and this like has a lot of lasting consequences you know like it's like when you watch wrestling and you get into it more if someone gets hurt and they sell the injury through the whole match. Like, oh, yeah, they've been through a war or something. Yeah. Versus you get hurt and then two seconds later you're fine. You know? Um, I also think, like, Patrick Stewart is, like, super good in this. And it really works because he does. he's just foreboding. Well, he's not, he's not in your – it's not uh, – I was worried with Patrick Stewart that they were going to try to do – 
the comical bad guy. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's really he's just he's the puppet master. He's like the background player. You actually, he's not in a huge, huge amount of the film, mm-hmm. but when he is, it counts. But he makes his the supporting cast, uh, as I mentioned. I mean, uh, Macon um, Blair is mm-hmm. the his like right hand man in this movie. And he just does a phenomenal job it, because it's not, again, it's realistic. He doesn't play a performance where I feel like, I feel like this is what would happen. And that's why I like through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's kind of weird. We, I mean, we've already talked about the witch. I don't want to go a huge amount on that. But in contrast to this, one thing, you know, with the witch is it's very few people are in the movie. It's yeah. very limited uh, cast. And one of the things I loved about it was, is that, you know, <laughs> In The Witch, you're like, is this really happening? Yeah. Is this real or a hallucination? Whereas in this film, it's, is this really happening? Like, holy shit. Like, you know it's real. But the people are playing it very well. Like, they don't, they just can't believe it's going on. Like, without giving anything away, just the way Patrick Stewart takes charge of this situation really makes it seem like this is something that's happened before and they know exactly how to deal with it. Which makes it really frightening when you wonder, like, holy fuck, this is so atypical and psychotic. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got it. It's like, well, and, and the one thing I will say is in Patrick Stewart, instead of just being like, Captain Picard, oh, excellent. Yeah. Everything is going great. Any fuck ups that happen, and they do, any mistakes that are made, he's accounting for them. Like, yeah. I said, it's very methodical. And yeah, it's a really tense movie. Yeah, it's that's really, the best way I could ever yeah, describe it. Yeah, it's tense and unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. But just absolutely, please go see this. If you have any interest in this kind of movie, support it. I'm not doing that as like a, I got paid to say that. Yeah. I mean, I am saying this as a film fan. I truly was on the edge of my seat for the bulk of the movie. I mean, it was, I think I said in my review, like something like you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. There were plenty of scenes. And we're talking about a screener audience where there's a lot of people who are there. They just got free tickets and sometimes you get some real like ruckus, you know, but everything felt like the crowd was 100% unison. Yeah. Like when it was time to stand up and cheer, people did yeah. that. People, and kind of like the gore, said, like Victor said, I said, I, I can understand that. It actually makes sense. But the one thing is, is that it does sell on the realism. Yeah. And people were like audibly like, aghast like oh, oh yeah. my god like we saw we saw it at the arc light cinema in hollywood with cineramas we didn't see it in the cinerama but um you know when certain things happened you could hear people going oh my god and i was doing the same fucking thing like oh sh-, you know and mean it yeah like, so that's a good thing yeah i but and last word i do think the concert sequence in this film Man, that was shot really well. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah, cinematography I mentioned, it was so beautiful. And they do the subject matter well. The punk yeah. hardcore scene, um, the skinhead scene and stuff, they really do make it feel genuine. Even mm. in the fact that one of the things I like about it is is that, and it's, it, I don't want to give away kind of the running joke of it, but it's, it's, a, it's a parody in a lot of ways of the punk scene and the hardcore scene in the respect of that. It's like, are these dudes even, they're like, we're the realest band, we're the punkest band, but mm-hmm. it's like, you kind of realize down the line, they're kind of posers, like, in a respect, like, they're, oh, yeah. they're not really, I mean, it just as well, much as Well, I think it's just very be. much people that age, because I remember when I was, like, a teenager, and I was, like, 
you know, getting like heart attack and all these like hardcore scenes. Good old abolition. Uh, I, you know, I thought I was like really like into it, you know, but really looking back, like, yeah, I'm just getting zines. I'm like a poser, you know, but well, you all... believe, you know, that you're part of it, you know? Yeah, and it is, but definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I saw. Uh, I saw the season premiere of Penny Dreadful. Um, you know, I like that show. It's a really slow burn, but um, I'm excited about it. It's good. Mm-hmm. Kirby. Kirby. Well, I already ran the um, green room, so we'll skip that. I'll uh, get to the quick two ones. I mean, I really I can't remember too much of what I watched the last couple of weeks. It's been busy. I did see the film Race in the Dollar Theater, which is oh, the, the uh, Jesse Owens, Owens Nazi story. movie. Yeah, it's really well. It's the thirty-five Olympics, uh, thirty-six Olympics, and it, it's interesting. Um, it's far from perfect. You know, it's very standard uh, paint by numbers kind of film where you know it has all the elements. Um, one of the things I did find interesting, I mean, I grew up reading about Jesse Helms. I knew about his accomplishments, and I like sports dramas and sports comedies. I don't like sports at all, so mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. But with the the one thing that was interesting is I read his life after. He actually died here in Tucson, um, and he died fairly young. I mean, you know, people back then, you know, didn't live as long, and he was, a pack, I believe, a pack-a-day smoker. Oh, um, so it's obvious go. that he didn't, you know, uh, which is pretty amazing that you think of the, one of the greatest track and field stars of all time was a pack-a-day smoker. But he, um, he, he was kind of interesting in his life afterwards, um, and I almost wish that had been part of the movie, or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It was a great buildup, but um, that would have been after that. I probably watched some stuff on Netflix. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is I did watch the new Patton Oswalt special mm-hmm. and do some of my condolences out to him, obviously. Um, his wife was an amazing true crime writer, and it's very sad to hear about her passing, um, and especially as it happened literally as this, this new stand-up special was released. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, Patton Oswalt, I, he kind of has a Kevin Smith thing for me where I really like a lot of his stuff. And then a lot of it I feel is kind of like, dude, you could do a lot better, yeah. but I don't think I could. So, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those types yeah, of things. Yeah, he speaks he speaks to the geeks. Yeah, and he has yeah. A, he's very And he's real. very knowledgeable. Yeah, oh, he yeah, I read, I read his last book and even though I didn't come to the I same think I think we if I think if we if we had him in the room and we were talking about movies, yeah. we would be like Oh yeah. Over oh yeah. Oh without a doubt. Too. He's he's one of those guys. I mean, I have never doubt how incredibly intelligent and thoughtful he is. And I actually enjoy him as an actor. One performance I don't think he gets enough credit for is he was amazing in the movie Young Adult. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the last the Diablo Cody movies, but written. But his performance in that is absolutely incredible. And he just deserves a lot of respect. I enjoyed the special. I laughed a lot um, during parts. Um, not as funny as I laugh at somebody like uh, comedians I really enjoyed now are like, like, I love Bill Burr's probably like my top guys. I know we talked about when they had his um, F's for Family was right. up on Netflix. Yeah. Yep. I mean, to me, but I think Patton mm-hmm. Oswalt, despite all the geek speak, when he talks on like current issues, political issues, I think he really does hit some great points and he can be very, very funny and insightful. Um, but, uh, and definitely is a great film buff um but enjoyed that the only other two things i'm going to run quick is that um i had actually um amazingly i've if i've seen it i didn't really remember it well it might have been way too young but i finally sat down and watched the um shout factory corman classics i've been watching those and i just saw finally galaxy of terror 
Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah, yeah, which I um I actually don't yeah. really remember seeing, and I've, I, of course, never You've saw You've never that. seen it? I didn't th- I I really, it's, like I said. It's the one where Sid Haig is a mute space ninja. Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. I live and die for the crystals. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's very, uh, you know, Robert England's in it. Um, uh, what's Ray Walston. Yeah, Ray Walston. Joni. Joni. And, um, uh, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, Robert England. Uh, uh, it's just, it's kind of an amazing cast. It's Corman. One pick we just mentioned, it's James Corman. James Cameron, uh, was is that it's fascinating that he it's literally the template for Aliens because he was the second unit yeah. director and he I guess was just absolutely crazy on on the set and like hated the director wanted to do his own thing but you can see a lot of the the shots like the claustrophobia the feelings of dread and stuff like you know he he was adept at that especially in his younger years but um you know just a I will say. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but the excise portion from this film, which made it a rated X, is, I mean, this is a film that is 35 years old now, and Jesus, is that still intense, man. It just blew me away. Like, holy shit, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Even though I knew it was kind of coming, mm-hmm. no pun intended, um, it was amazing. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, had some, it has Like all Shout stuff, has a lot of great special features, but... Um, I had seen Forbidden World a bit before and some of the other ones. And like I said, I, I probably saw a lot of these movies when I was a kid, but I either saw very cut versions or like almost public domain, you know, those like cheapy mm-hmm. kind of VHS ones or early DVD. And so I really didn't remember it well. But um, the one thing I will say about this, you know, it's it's one of the alien knockoff films. Um, and the interesting part is, is that I think it stands up very much on its own as – a unique idea um, about without giving away obviously what the uh, twist is in the end. Um, it worked well, and I could not follow up with anything else. But watching the other great Alien uh, film, which I rip off film, which I just got from Arrow, which is Contamination. Oh right. Also known as Alien Contamination, which is also like very much its own film, but probably the most Italian of all Italian horror films. I think I may have ever seen, it, except for maybe like Nightmare City and a couple of the other ones. It's like the ripoff of the ripoff of their own films, and it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, ludicrous movie, uh, but beautiful work by Arrow. It has a great um, documentary actually on it, like a mini documentary about the uh, Italians ripping off their films. So it goes through all like the uh, Great White Shark and all the Jaws ripoffs and then the exploitation of Mad Max and yeah. and uh, Road Warrior. And I, I just really enjoyed that. So that was a plus. Definitely pick that up if you're interested. And then um, I'm not going to talk about a huge amount, um, not because we're running out of time, but because I'm going to post a full review. Uh, but I did spend this weekend at uh, the uh, 7th Annual Lovecraft Film Fest in San Pedro, California. It's my sixth year going. Um, it was an amazing event. Um, uh, as always, I love this event. I support it a hundred percent. Um, it means a lot to me. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I, I'm a huge Lovecraft fan, as you may know from watching or re- listening to this podcast, but, um, uh, the one I will say, and I just, uh, cause I don't want to, I want to be able to build off the review, but I thought it might be one, at least good s- small discussion point is they showed, uh, theatrically the mist in black and white. Really? Yeah. And it, Yummy. it was, uh, and this is at the Warner Grand Theater, which is a historic theater. Wow. 1931 used to be part of the theater system. 
and getting to see the mist in black and white on the big screen. I just encourage you, if you own this movie, go watch it again in black and white, even if you already have. Because that's one of the special features, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was the second version. It was what Darabont and King wanted. But just turn off the lights, turn off everything, crank the sound up, mm-hmm. and holy shit, it's just, just one of the most amazing movies. I was, like, so tired. I've been up almost 24 hours at this time by the time this started running. And I mean, I just could not take my eyes off the screen. It's it's in black and white. It's just perfect. You can see exactly why they wanted it. It. I love the old Mist radio drama from the late '80s, early '90s. I love the original story, but this film, man, it's like wow, does this hit hard? Like, and not just the ending. I mean, the whole film. Mm-hmm. It just in black and white because that's what it is. It's black cool. and white in the. Yeah, that must be that must have been like a good mo- way to see it. It's really hard to that movie doesn't get screened uh, theatrically much in repertory just because it's such a I I don't want to say downer. It's a downer, but yeah. All Some right. people had not seen it in the theater, yeah. so it right. was yeah. definitely an interesting. It's, yeah, it has a very fucked up ending. Well, it's it's just a hard sell just overall. Yeah, I even when I. I don't even know what the circumstances around why I even saw it to begin with. Maybe because of um, shoot, what's his name? Thomas Jane. Thomas Thomas Jane. I was like really yeah. enjoying what he was doing at that time, uh, and maybe I was looking forward to seeing some you know some nasty tentacles, you know some good uh, practical effects kind of thing. And it was it was kind of uh, leapfrogging. Um, uh, Dreamcatcher, in some ways, there were some connections there too, uh, which, for as disjointed and fucked up it is, I really like that movie mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, but you know, like a chickabaga. I I remember a few years ago, uh, Mondo had booked out the new Beverly in L.A. to do a series of Mondo mystery movies. Yeah. Where basically you were buying your ticket. And you didn't know what you were seeing. You didn't know what you were going to see. And you were going to get a post, a Mondo poster based on that movie. And I bought tickets to two of them. They were really hard to get. But something came up and I couldn't go out there. One of the movies I ended up buying a ticket for ended up being The Mist. And uh, I remember at the time they posted some tweets where it's like, oh, I'm so excited to get an awesome Daniel Danger Mist poster. But I'm so bummed out I have to watch The Mist to get it. Oh. <laughs> And that's actually one of my most. If you're out there and you want to, you want to help me, you want to help brother out. If you have that poster, I want that one. That's in my top five from Mondo. Yeah, it's a cool mm-hmm. poster. Uh, which I, I of course tried to get the Jay Sean Alien Day limited to seventy. Uh, Jen uh, had tried to help out uh, um, oh, a friend of ours, and she literally uh, they she added it to her cart and it had six posters. So it invalidated it. Uh-huh. And then with mine, it was just like glitched. I mean, oh, server overload oh, and no. couldn't get it. So it was just crazy. But yeah. I wish I'd... I do have a Mondo wish list, yeah. but that's that's one of the top ones by far. One that's of these crazy, days though. we'll have to do a thing about how I think Jay Shaw has ruined Mondo. But Okay, we can do that as a sidecast. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I feel, yeah, but I just wanted to quick point that one out. And uh, I think Ab, uh, Adam's got some uh, meat for the matter here, if you want to. What, what did I meet? You what have some meat? meat for the yeah, meat the, for the, the beast. main topic or if there's anything oh, no, else I, you want to ask us kind about. Of, yeah, I don't know. There was just kind of some things. Well, you know, Mama's Day is coming up. 
Uh-huh. And whether you like your mama or not, there there are movies out there and there are characters out there that are mamas on the screen that uh, I, I would like to hear if there's any ones that kind of like stick out to you. I, I honestly, if I just put my, I can only think of like Psycho pretty much. Um, Obviously, I'm going to go with Mother's Day. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that, that's it for me. I mean, and, and, and I'm not just trying to go with the classic holiday horror title or whatever, but I mean, I, I think, you know, like you think of Psycho and stuff, I mean, just, you can think of, you know, obviously my mother for me is the greatest woman who ever lived and I love her more than anything on earth. She's like the song in my heart, but it's also one of those things where, I mean, yeah, you want that, but then you kind of want the crazy mother on film or whatever. Or, dead or alive. the funny, yeah, exactly. Dead like alive, the funny yeah. mother. That's a great, that's now, see, that's an example. Like, uh, a so really you have to good put my thinking cap, cap on. on. Yeah, you know, it has yeah. The doting son. And, yeah, yeah. I, and I think that that's part of it too. Is it's got to be how the relationship works. So, yeah, like there's even a film. I, I don't think it's a great movie per se, but there's some scenes in it to this day that absolutely kill me. Is the um, Albert Brooks Debbie Reynolds movie Mother? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, right. I still use the line all the time. There's this part where I think they're in like a pet store, and he's like handling one of the animals, and she's like, "Ah, stop, stop!" And he's like. Jesus, mom, I'm not Lenny from a Mice and Men. Uh-huh. And anytime somebody like doesn't want me to touch something, it's like got to go with that line. But yeah, I, like I just think books. of little movies that I mean, there's just bits and pieces of things um, that work. Uh, oh, there's this one weird one I saw a few years ago. It had his uh, David Duchovny in it, and um, the girl from Juno, who's also in Dread. Do you know what I'm talking about? She's Juno's friend, and in Dread, she's uh, Carl Urban's uh, psychic uh, partner. Oh, God, yeah, I don't remember her yeah. name, though. But uh, basically, uh, David Duchovny, and she plays his daughter, and uh, the daughter and the mother in a car accident. And uh, they touch hand, and they, they both, like, flatline at the same time. And then she ends up in uh, – the daughter's spirit ends up in the mother's body. And uh, – Basically, she comes back and she's like, "I'm your wife," and I'm like, "No, you're my daughter." And it's really yeah. creepy and settling. <laughs> yeah, I was um, gonna say, if you really want to get creepy on selling with mothers, we could talk about spanking the monkey. Yeah, I was just thinking yeah, that I too. Like, I mean, and the other, uh, thanks, the other movie, it took me like a long time to forget that movie. I could think of uh, Birth, that Nicole Kidman movie, where like you know her husband comes back in that little boy's body. That and then it turns out I don't want to spoil it, but it's a weird movie. Nicole too. Kidman makes a lot of weird fucking movies with kids. I just yeah. want to say they're kid themes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really messed up, but um, yeah, I don't know. What do you got, Adam? Almost like clockwork. Every year we we would around Mother's Day we would watch Mommy Dearest. Oh, oh Rosemary's yeah. Baby. Rosemary Baby's yeah. a good one. Yeah. But Mommy's um, Dearest was was one of those that we would watch as a family. Just I think just so my well I mean it's it's so campy. So you so learned the lesson straight. about no more wire hangers. Yeah, no, more wire. no, we didn't have to learn that because I I don't remember I think actually the using it. Or Sinespi is actually playing it for Mother's Day. That would That's be awesome. Cool. Uh, that you know yeah we did care about the hanger thing. The but it was it was a funny part and but we would uh, not drink Pepsi anymore because we're like oh my gosh we didn't know you know this person's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but. I think my parents would show it to us just to sh- say that, you know, we're actually somewhat of a normal family. You what know, what do you think when you're growing up with a family? It's like, oh, oh I hate yeah. my parents, blah, blah, blah. They're so mean. You know, you, they won't let me go to the roller rink this weekend. Did you double feature with Flowers in the Attic just for just for fun? Yeah. No, I don't think. 
I don't think I actually watched the whole thing, or if I did, maybe I don't know. Oh, I know I another I did, one. But... Uh, Pet Cemetery Two. That's true. Yeah, Mr. Mom. Pet Cemetery Alone Two would be a great one oh, as yeah. well. But you're right, Pet Cemetery Two is even more. Yeah, the really creepy focus with Edward Furlong trying to get his mom back. Yeah. Yeah. That movie always the weirded sl- me out. The, the slow yet fast descent of Eddie Furlong. Um, yeah, like that movie's still good, but you could see that's where I feel like what what's Brain Scan is probably his last real movie. Yeah, that was def- that's still one of my favorites. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know it's funny because I you know you think of a movie kind of like Finding Nemo, where it's like God, you just want to call your father as soon as you go watch it. I was trying to think if there's a film like that with a mother that I feel like, oh, man, I just want to go call my mother uh-huh. kind of thing. Like, you know, has I'm thinking more of like a dramatic thing like that, too. Oh, I was or just like trying a big to, fish, you know. I, yeah, I was just trying to think of like horror movies with oh, like Well, I can think of that, too. Yeah. But I was trying to keep – I was trying to broaden my range. But horror movies and stuff, I mean, you know. Not that we're a horror podcast. But. No, but I mean – or sci-fi and stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's just – it's weird that – you know, you think of a movie kind of like you know, I even think of like Hush, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, what's her name? Is it Jessica Lang? That was not Jessica Lang. Uh, what's her name? It's like Gwyneth Paltrow and stuff. It was one of like the thrillers of the mid nineties. Do you even uh, remember that movie at all? But it's like really. the mother. It's like they're a couple, and the mother absolutely what does the woman's not good enough with Paltrow's not good enough for her son you know isn't that great no 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 i'm thinking of something else. great expectations yeah. oh no no no. Yeah. this was like a like a one of the lifetime original movies that was not yeah. a lifetime original movie but hey, what um, about serial mom yeah uh, oh yeah that oh, was yeah, another one i was one. gonna say because i had actually recently just rewatched that i just always remember this scene with the uh air conditioner <laughs> Happy belated birthday, uh, John Waters. It was just like a week oh, yeah, ago. Yeah, so, yeah. speaking of which, um, and not obviously hush the uh, the movie, the hand that rocks the cradle. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Now, oh, now we're on the lifetime path. But well, that was a, that was a genuinely unsettling film, though. Mm-hmm. March sixth, nineteen ninety. It was Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang, Gwyneth Paltrow, nineteen ninety. Oh wow! Yeah, but it was. I remember seeing that one, and it was you know that kind of thing. Oh, and probably the this will be my last random horror mother kind of thing. Uh, the Guardian. Oh, that's definitely a good yeah. one too. Freaking classic. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. I would definitely say about. Um, Jeez, I'm surprised I was able to think of that many. That's, yeah, you did really good on this, man. On the Sorry. fly, Jesus! Wow. Yeah, I came up with three. Yeah. I guess you could say goodnight, mommy, for a brand new one. Yeah, technically, and there's mama. I mean, there's so many like horror films and stuff, but it's really weird to think of because you know somebody was talking about like the greatest villain of all time or villainess or whatever we want to look at, and I would say I don't think anybody's fucking ever scared me as much as Kathy Bates in Misery. Mm. Like, I mean, really frightened me. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that. I feel like that. if she ha- if she had not done that movie, we wouldn't see Kathy Bates in anything. That like informs everything she's ever done. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like I mean, even on a on a weird tip and stuff, like woman you most want to punch in the face, which is always Nancy Grace for me. But in cinematically, it really is a uh Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. 
Oh, I've never yeah. hated someone so much. <laughs> one like, of the few Wanda, Harry Potter movies I've seen, and yeah, she's terrible. I, I she's want, a pink I mean, lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just, I mean, I was want her dead. Yeah. Was there any payoff? I can't remember. No. Well, I she gets remember. taken away by, uh, oh god, some Harry Potter superman's gonna kill me. Ferez, Ferez is the you know the centaurs and stuff out there and stuff. In the book, it's intoned a little bit more violently. Like almost like they're gonna trample her to death or something. At least that's what I took away. I remember reading the book many, many years ago. Uh-huh. I mean, Harry Potter in the books always it seems more dark and violent. Like Harry Potter, basically, like, I remember it almost feels like he's fantasizing about killing everybody, like all the Death Eaters and all the people. It's definitely not as homogenized, but I, I, I do think of that. Like, I mean, because like I said, it's it's a contrast on our side. Like I said, I mean, I I did want to think of a few that were more like. Uh, loving respect but i do think it's like dead alive like i really meant that as a perfect example Mm -hmm. of that really bizarre mother kind of story and there's Mm -hmm. way more out there it's just possession yeah that's that's a real really odd one um yeah but it's weird sometimes i go for some reason i go back to more of father stuff so it's hard Mm -hmm. for me to think of um but yeah that's a pretty good list there I would say so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, yeah, you were right. You definitely rattled off way more than I would ever. I just I didn't realize how it, what a prevalent theme that was in 90s movies. It is, definitely. Yeah. So, Monster Palooza happened. Uh-huh. You was, were there. Yes. Kirby, you were not. I was You decided not, not to go. No, I just really couldn't afford to anymore. I've this got time. too many things going on, but it... um. If I can hitch a ride with Victor, I'll I'll I'll, I'll be a, a merch whore. So, but uh, when I can't, uh, um, and not calling you that, Ruby, please don't hit me. Um, <laughs> she does a great job, um, probably better selling than I do. But um, I did summer monster palooza with Victor, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like the old monster palooza. So Victor can talk about the new venue and the new monster palooza style. Well, yeah, and I have questions. Okay. Because I'm kind of familiar with you know what it is i mean it's just an, it's another convention but to me it you know when i'm seeing uh pictures from my other friends mm-hmm. uh that they're, that they're posting the, there's really not as many monsters as i would expect it just kind of seems general like phoenix con or something no. with a little bit more of a kind of a monster twist to it um i think if you look on instagram you'll get more of a flavor for it but it's it's very much themed towards people who um, collect high-end, uh, like, sculptures mm-hmm. and who do makeup and special effects. Okay. So, like... So, it is still pretty general in that respect, It's too. It's, like, specialized pretty much towards people who, like, have are, cl- have high-end collections so and do Guillermo special... So, Toro. Yes. Yeah, there's kind of, like... It kind of is a branch of the guy who runs it, found it, uh, Elliot Brodsky. He's one of the premier guys. Like, there's a few of them. Uh, I mean, obviously, Dom Post, mm-hmm. um, Ed Edmonds, and uh, uh, Dr. David Lady. Um, there's a few other guys and stuff. They're both part of kind of the Universal Monsters and the Halloween Mask Association. I'm a big mask collector. And that yeah. there is mask, mask collecting fe- is a big yeah. part of it. Mass Fest is uh, you know, a separate event put on by HMA. Elliot does Monster Palooza. But it is uh, special effects. I mean, I think since uh, Face Off and a lot of stuff, they do a lot of those. A lot of like, you know, people selling like supplies, like here's yeah. latex, resin. 
you know, yeah, materials. Yeah, and what you end up seeing happen, and there were a lot, it was more spread out this year, but usually it's more because they're all right next to each other, is these people get like four or five booths and they'll do demos. So when the vendor's going during the day, there's people getting stuff put on them, and then they walk around in these like elaborate like movie gotcha. monster style makeup. So you can kind of get a look at like, oh shit, this is what you see, can and that's do with what our they, uh, you know. Maybe then they're just not marketing themselves very well. I mean, I know the name, and I know that yeah. you've been there for years, and you Kirby as well. Yeah. Uh, how many years has it been going on now? Uh, like a really long time. Over ten. Uh, yeah, probably 10. about ten right now. Yeah. I started going, I so think, in 08. So that's a good amount of time. But I, like I said, I just thought it was just another convention. Yeah, where it would be like uh, Mad Monster or Rapture or it's like Mad Monster with all the guests and stuff and a focus on film, but the predominant is on mass special effects, uh, creature features. If anybody is listening for Monster Palooza and has you know is on the marketing tip, they just they I think that should be pushed a little well, bit more. Well, I think because I it, think I would have gone. I then. think what it other is other than like the people that you ran into it, and 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 that sort of stuff. I know, think they, what it is, it's that the people who put it on the Brodsky, they're like it's like a mo- it's put on by like mom and pop people, yeah, who are very into that scene, you know, like uh, and they've been at like the Burbank Convention Center their entire. This is the first time they expanded, and they outgrew that venue like years ago. Right. So like you'd go to this like basically think. So just to put in perspective, like if you've been to the Mesa Convention Center, mm-hmm. imagine trying to fit like Phoenix Con as it is now into that. Mm-hmm. So like broom closets, hallways, everything has booths. Like right. there's no space that isn't utilized. And there's like thousands of people who come. And it's, you know... At the same time, it has like, like that small vibe, but it's a huge convention. Sure. And they have a museum where people make these super elaborate like sculptures mm-hmm. to like just to show off, you know, oh, this is what I've been working on. And like it, it's cool, too, because like, you know, there's like, all the all, you know, all the attendees and stuff to it. Like, oh, you know, these are regular people. But then it's like, you know, I think the first or second year I did it, you know, I do like the zombie sketches. Like, we're walking, it's like, oh, look, he did a sketch of your Aunt Heather, you know, Heather Langenkamp. And then it turns out the kids I'm drawing are Stan Winston's grandkids, <laughs> you know. Or, like, we set up and then, like, uh, it's, you know, they're guiding, like, uh, Guillermo del Toro and J.J. Abrams around so they can look around before the con starts because otherwise they'll get mobbed by right. people, yeah. you know. So, and it's like last year when we did it, this is John Favreau, it was the same way. They bring him in through a different yeah. entrance so you can kind of get a look around. Yeah. Know. A couple of years ago, I ended up going to the bathroom and I literally turned next to me and I realized I'm pissing next to Slash. Yeah. <laughs> and I, Chuck Billy, I ran into from Testament. Oh, nice. And a lot of, just a lot well, of yeah, well known people. Last, when me, scene. yeah, when yeah. me and Kirby were there last time, like we were running late and I like, got with Mansion Jam in there because I was walking and John Five from Rob Zombie mm-hmm. was right in front of me. So they cut a path for him, you know. And it's, it's cool, like, especially since a lot of actors really respect the special effects people. They oh, yeah. show up too, like, uh, one of the unannounced guests on Saturday who showed up to, like, induct one of the special effects guys into the monster palooza hall of fame which they started this year was gary oldman wow. he just showed up unannounced and you know just like oh you you know because his career has been tied to special effects for so long yeah we're gonna have to go next year I yeah think. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely worth going. Like I said, it's one of those things. I mean, I went for years and years and years. The one thing is, is that, like I said, it's focused more on the special effects and the mass and stuff. Um, they which, have people, which I think makes it a lot better, better. than most yeah. cons because basically almost everyone is wearing like it's not like Phoenix Con or any of that where like cosplayers are just stopping traffic, you mm-hmm. know. They'll, you know, they're walking around. People understand like there's open areas for you to take pictures of that, sure. and it's not high I'm an attention whore as you as is the usual at most of those events. Yeah. I mean, it's people who are literally, it's instead of like a either like your typical like creepy neck beards or like annoying, like uh, obnoxious like teenagers or something it's literally people who are just having immense amount of respect for like these yeah. these costumes or these makeups and stuff and uh, it's it, there's some are absolutely astonishing like i saw pics from this year mm-hmm. that you just went to and i was like man well and then they announced things that for close. like everything like uh we were walking around and like a uh, pop culture shock toys or collectibles was there, which used to be soda toys. Yeah. And then they just put up these cases like, oh, yeah, we're doing action figures again. Here's our thing action figures coming out next year in our American Werewolf in London. Yeah. He yeah. he basically he got to keep all the molds because I remember asking him years ago when he separated from soda um, that what happened to all the molds because he did the Lovecraft set. And I was like, you made a deep one. I've seen the prototype at it from San Diego Comic-Con. Where's the figure? Can I buy it off you or something? Uh, wait a bit. And yeah. it's like, and then he had, they made the Jack and uh, Wolf from American Wolf in London. They did an amazing yeah. Leprechaun mini bust mm-hmm. where it was the gold coins were the base, yeah. like coming up, right. showering, and it's just holding up the coin, uh, the Leprechaun. It was just amazing. And I, I saw that on um you know online and i was just like oh my god oh yeah well and it's cool too because like a lot of the really elaborate sculptures that people like bring to show up they're all for sale you just have to ask for them like um they had a really elaborate sculpture last year that was like the creep show poster in three dimensions and my friend kevin bought it the guy who owns gotham city comics i guess Mm -hmm. he's gonna have it at uh mad monster party so you'll be able to check it out there and then uh the same guy was there this year and he was setting up and he did the uh, rabbit from the twilight zone the movie yeah and he's like oh yeah that was a commission for for kevin he's coming on saturday to pick it up and i was looking i was like holy crap that thing is awesome yeah you it know? was like life size, where it like took yeah. up the, right up to the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. Thing. Well, like, and like Victor said, they kind of have they have a museum portion, and then even in some of the other convention halls, they'll just have little roped off areas, mm-hmm. so you can just look at various mass sculptures and stuff. But the museum part, they would you know partition people at a time to go through because you know so it didn't get crammed and nothing got damaged. Um, I I apologize. I don't remember who did it. I mean, I always see a uh, Jordu Shell and uh, yeah, Jordu Shell's uh, booth was right by ours. And what's the other guy's name? Steve uh, Sp- Johnson. Uh, yeah, Brent Spina or Spina Spina. I remember because he corrected me that that's how you pronounce his name. His, but I don't remember if it was those guys or if it was somebody different. But there was one they did Jaws, but it was just the guys on the boat. I mean, if you turn just around, sitting on the boat, boat, yeah, and it was if you you will literally, it was Roy Shire, it was Richard Dreyfus. I mean, just looking at him and Quint staring you down, yeah. you just wanted to walk away, man. It was like <laughs> they did in silicone, and it was unbelievable. It was oh, probably yeah. the most they amazing one I've like ever seen. They had a few like that this year, like they had um, Kurt Cobain, 
uh, playing his guitar from MTV's Unplugged, and it looked just like he was sitting there tuning his guitar. Like, it was freaky, you know? And then they had uh, Ben Affleck in the uh, new Batman suit from Batman v Superman. It looked just like he was just standing in front of you. And it's not like they just sculpt the cost; They sculpt everything. Mm -hmm. They paint the hands. They cast everything. Yeah. You know, and and they invite you to. I mean, you can come take pictures of the stuff. I mean, people are. I find a little bit more respectful than your typical like Comic Con kind of crowd. And the no, because yeah, they want you to. They you can ask questions like yeah. you know like they had a Arnold Schwarzenegger from Terminator right when he was like about to you know siege of the police station and we're like you know I think Ruby is like oh how did you get the hair in there and it's like oh yeah you got to punch those in one by, by one, one individually, you know. Yeah. It's it's just one of those ones, but the one thing I will say about it is that you know you're kind of asking about how it is and how it's run and stuff. I mean, this is Holly, you know, Burbank, Pasadena, Hollywood in the end, and I mean, you know, if you come for the guests, it's a lot of the same guests every year. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they always make an effort to bring new people in, but I mean, you know, they also honor a lot of their own friends and stuff. Like I think a lot of people who are like hoping it's going to be this like completely different one. I mean, most horror conventions, sci-fi, fantasy. Comic Con. I mean, it's it's always going to be a same amount of guests, but they let the guests kind of be a little bit more a part of it. They always do. One of the things I love about Monster Blues is they always do these amazing reunion panels. Like mm-hmm. I saw Child's Play, Return of the Living Dead, Reanimator, Fright Night, and I mean they were like the whole cast plus a lot of other people. And I just you know they they Elliot is is an amazing individual and his staff and all the volunteers who put it on. It's just such a great event. It's just one of those things where I think a big part of it for me was just that I can't, uh, you know, it's just I'll go and I want to spend way too much money. Well, sure. and that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, the more I do conventions now, I realize I, I spend less and less money. And uh, this one's cool because most of the people there are artisans. So it's like there'll be people who do like special effects makeup, but then they'll have like little booths set up where they're selling, like, kits and things they make on their own. So, like, oh, there's this artist who worked on, like, you know, Blade 2. You can buy, like, a monster bust he made on his, you know, on his own spare time. They had a bunch of people from Japan this year because they expanded. And this guy did these, like, little zombie garage kits. Like, they were, like, maybe, like, you know, four or five inches tall. And they looked, you know, they were unassembled and stuff. But he had some painted samples. But the thing that was really cool is that he was selling the boxes he was selling them in uh, looked like distressed VHS boxes. And he had, like, done little scenes with the characters inside as the movie <laughs> posters on them. Nice. And, uh, you know, like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And we saw him running back and forth. And it's like, yeah, you know, the guests up front, like, you know, so he's basically people, they would send their representatives up front. And they're like, oh, yeah, um, so-and-so really wants that kit. Can you, like, bring it and uh, – you know, uh, you know, so he was running buckets of them for guests and stuff. Yeah, and so, the guests get really involved. Yeah, and you'll see him walk around. Victor mentioned like a lot of really well-known celebrities. Yeah, like but. yeah, that's like the big difference between like you know Phoenix Con and stuff, where basically you know people are there just because they're getting paid to be there. Okay, and this one like. You know, like Guillermo del Toro, like shows up before the floor even opens, and he like literally was stopping at every booth. And like we were seeing, like any booth that was selling sculpted things, he would go and buy two or three things from them. Like down our row, there were three people who were selling sculptures, and he's like, "I want that one, that one." <laughs> you know, it 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 reminds me of something that he's that I that I was reading about him that he has 
well, at least two different homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, Bleak House 1 and Bleak House 2. One yeah. that he spends most of his time in that has all his little, you know, tchotchkes and knickknacks and stuff from his, his own movies as well. And then another house that's for his wife and children mm-hmm. because they don't want to spend any time in this, you know, museum. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So it's like, well, you just go over there. It's like basically his office. He has this whole house that's all yeah. decorated with all yeah. this stuff. I've seen a couple of tours of it. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, and they announced like, that same weekend that I yeah. guess in July, LACMA is doing, a, a, like they did the Tim Burton one and the Kubrick exhibit. They're doing one just of his collection. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, it's a fun event. It's totally worth going to. Um, I, 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 as Victor said, you know, expanded now to the Pasadena Convention Center. It had to. I mean, there were and literal. It's weird because that's what I worried about. But basically, the way they laid it out was they did it in the biggest hall, mm-hmm. and like all the autograph people are on the outside, lined up opposite each other, and it's in sections. So it starts in like Japan, eighties yep. horror, you know. Like so, yep. if if you want to see all the Godzilla people, they're all in a row. Then it goes like you know. It... And that's one thing they do get is a lot of kaiju, a lot of uh, uh, Godzilla fans and stuff, Sentai. Um, you know, it's very diverse. Yeah, and then they had, like, the theater, which was, they split that off, so, like, they had the theater, and then the other half of the theater was, uh, which was in a, right next to the museum, was, like, a VHS, like, swap meet run by, uh, our friend Daniel from Lo-Fi Video, and they had, like, a lot of cool guests there, like, Brink Stevens, they had, uh, Tracy Lawrence Sebastian, who was Billy in Rocktober Blood, and he was selling, like, original sealed copies of like the rocktober blood soundtrack that's awesome yeah and he was telling us the whole story it's like yeah you know my friend was like hey that soundtrack you have cases of in your garage like i just put one on ebay and sold it for 500 bucks (laughs) so he was basically like you know i you know i learned that there was this whole following for things and you know i you know i only i don't have that many left i have like 25 but like you know people are into it and it's an excuse (laughs) for me to come out here and visit my grandkids so what the heck yeah that's cool yeah and they do have a lot of like it's not just big stars they have a lot of people and they give them the same kind of billing and support but um yeah it's just a lot of fun and stuff i mean i think conventions are you know obviously i'm getting like i i with Lovecraft Film Fest, I always enjoy it and stuff, but I'm I'm getting a little more burned out on conventions and festivals. But well, one of the ones sure. I've always had I mean, fun at is Monster Palooza. Yeah, looking at it from my perspective, like last year, Phoenix Con went on this whole, and I don't really want to get on a huge diatribe, you know, yeah, rant right. about no, this. No, we don't have much time. time but I will say, like last year, they expanded. And that meant getting more autograph guests and emphasizing cosplay over like vendors. And even though it got much bigger across the board, pretty much everyone I knew at Phoenix Con did less in sales. This year, we were all kind of worried about the oh, is Monster Palooza going to lose? Like, no, it just like we got there, the line wrapped around the convention center, and it was like I've seen it wrap around. Like the, the, you know, the one at the Marriott and it's, you know, it's like, oh, okay. It wraps around the building. No, this wrapped around the convention center and it yeah. was like, oh my God, are this, there really this many people here? And dude, we, our sales for this show were like crazy. Like, Good. you yeah. know. Oh it no, was, it's, it's, it was even crazy. Like it doubled, it doubled from what we did last year at either of those cons, yeah. you know? And I'm like, that's how you expand, expand something and everyone benefits. Well, even what? though not a horror podcast, I I will say this is probably the, the, 
you know, as a huge horror aficionado, is that I will say the horror community of all communities definitely takes care of its own. Oh, yeah, is, that's totally true. It's supportive beyond, like, any other. Like, there's no fair weather no. in it. It's just devoted. Horror, horror con, the people who go to horror cons literally are, like, the most supportive uh true blue like people you'll ever meet and then it's like what and like no it's like if you if you're seeing that as like someone more mainstream it's like no like if you go to a comic con half the people go there just to like cosplay or take pictures of cosplayers oh, yeah, and, yeah and moving from that mm-hmm. and speaking on that coming up is is mad monster and for ann and i i mean we're we are con- preferring more of the uh, the the horror cons, or that are, are centric, you know, around the, the the makeups and and you know the the darker side of of the of the uh, film worlds and whatever geekiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mad Monsters obviously not as large as Monster Palooza, but they get really good guests. Yeah, um, I think their panels are interesting, even if it does maybe sometimes sound like a broken record because a lot of these, a lot of the same people that kind of move around the circuit throughout the country are doing panels there. Yeah. So they'll they basically are speaking pretty much the same spiel that they do once they go. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seems like there's a, a variety enough of people, or well, especially this year, there's a, there's a lot of people that I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my this gosh. This is <laughs> like the one of the most loaded horror cons in terms of photo ops. I can never think of yeah there I, being... I i yeah in the photo ops yeah this year just i'm so shocked by how many there are uh we have to be picky picky and choosy because some of them are a hundred dollars i know yeah, this is called kirby's bankruptcy that's actually yeah. what i call this uh this con because this is insane like yeah they they have so many guests i mean it's just blowing me away yeah, like every time and they keep all... updating it I'm yeah like, yep. they just added like more stuff right now i saw on my phone but it's like you know we always do like a photo op just for the cult classics crew at mad monster and like the past couple of years it's been like pretty easy to pick what it is oh sure and this year it's like it could be like anything right you know i'm like jesus like i guess we're gonna have to like do multiples you know <laughs> You know, we'll just have to photobomb each of ours. It's yeah, because yeah, like cause we have to sit. Down I feel like Romero is like an obvious one, but then at the same time, so is like Malcolm McDowell. But then that Texas Chainsaw sounds so. Yeah, it's like ah, so, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm excited about it, and you know, yeah. like I, I'd been talking with Eben, the guy who runs Mad Monster, and he said, you know, they try to get celebrities who really like want to come to these shows. Yep to do them and like he was telling uh us a story at monster palooza about like uh how uh somebody was looking for brad duraf for a signing or something at mad mobster chicago and they're like oh he's at a, at tom savini's panel he's like he's not supposed to be on that panel it's like no he's actually like there watching the panel <laughs> yeah because he's interested and he was telling us how the whole thing was like uh, Tom Savini arguing against this guy who was like a murderbilia collector because I guess he's really against that. And then like Brad Dourif was like egging him on, like, you tell him, Savini, you know? And oh, I would have loved to see Yeah, that. that it turned into this like whole circus. I'm like, whoa, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I well, would love to Tom see. Tom Savini is an asshole. I just want to make that button. Well, no, I'd love clear. to see. I would love to see just because when we saw Brad Dourif, was it like two years ago now? Yeah. At Mad Monster, he. He was so um, 
quiet, I guess is the best way that I could put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and very like kind of you know, like introspective. But when you see him, like, you know, especially something like Exorcist 3, which is like one of the, the, the best performances Definitely. he ever put on film. When he goes over the edge, when that when it snaps and then all of a sudden the tear comes down and he just goes psycho, I just, I would love to see that in real life if yeah. he did that in his that His panel room. was great too with his daughter and stuff. They were probably yeah. curse at Chucky and it was That was amazing. one of the photo ops I regretted like, you know, not doing. Yeah. Like, because once I saw the finish thing where like the frame was like the, the yeah, that packaging really cool. and they yeah. had like Chucky right in the middle. I'm like, oh, that's actually <laughs> really cool. Yeah. You know? But, you know, it just seems like this year is going to trump all the other years. Yeah. yeah. But it's just great. Well, that... from what I understand, uh, like, they really want to make Phoenix their flagship show. And, like, the attendance this year is going to be, like, the deciding factor, you know? So, so go, motherfuckers. And I don't think I've been to Weekapod before. To what? For anything. The, the where oh, it's yeah. Being held. I, I went to Fort McDowell once to try out for Jeopardy. Um, That's, like, the last time I've been there. That oh. was, like, in, like nine years maybe ago maybe that's where could, don't they have like kind of like a comedy room or something that has like a bar in the back uh, i saw davy jones think, there oh oh my hit. gosh wow he died like a year later i was like he was funny as hell he was actually very entertaining wow like yeah but and it was awesome it may have been where we saw craig ferguson oh it might be yeah they, they've done comedy tour. shows yeah. yeah but go out and support like i said i mean for our listeners who are here in arizona I mean, all these events, whatever it is, uh, please support because uh, whether it's, I mean, we just had like Amazing Arizona Con, ZapCon, now we got Phoenix Comic Con, Mad Monster, a- AZ Game on Expo. Please support these events. And I'm not just saying it as an endorsement of the people or their guests or whoever's running it. I'm saying it because if you want things like this to happen in Arizona, do you it. You gotta go. You gotta yeah, go. Exactly. And like, and, and, and be, you know, yeah. support it because. Otherwise, it's just like with bands. People always go, why does band not come to Phoenix? Because they don't want to anymore. Nobody showed up. And it's like, you, you, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You have to support like for things to keep going. And it's not just about money. It, it, it That's a part of it. It's always going to be a part of anything. But there is a lot of heart, a lot of hard work behind these events. And support them. I mean, I really don't know what else to say beyond that. Like, yeah, because you don't yeah. sound very passionate about I'm it. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I know. sustainability is important. That's I why mean, I mean, we wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't do cult classics if we were in the hole, you know. Especially going on five years now. Right. I mean, we we're doing so many events lately just because the demand has been there. But and like, I know that's hard for yeah. people. By the way, that dollars can get stretched thin. Believe me, I understand. And and you know, but there are always uh, I Mad Monster. I know has done Groupons the last mm-hmm. couple of years. There's lots of ways. Yeah, that, uh, we you, always give out you discount got, codes. Yeah, if you're listening and you want to go to Mad Monster, you can get a weekend pass or a Sunday pass for 25 percent off. Just go to MadMonster.com and uh, put in the code Cult16 lowercase, and you'll get 25 percent off your weekend pass or your just your Sunday pass. So worth it. It's yeah, it's ten dollars off. It's not just like an indiscriminate amount. It's yeah. like forty dollars for a weekend of of three days of a convention is really good value, especially considering like how local cons out here are like over a hundred dollars for that now almost. Well, I tried to help somebody recently, by the way, with San Diego Con, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine going. You, I don't think anyone could go and spend less than between a thousand and two thousand dollars just on the bare essentials. No, sure. it's it's like yeah, going to San Diego Con is like going to Sundance. Like you got to you got to like plan that out ahead of time. Like if you if you're 
don't take a car to either one of those, man. Like get a get a ride or Uber around. Like there's trolleys. just the hotel lottery. Yeah. I tried to help a friend with, and it was literally like insane. I got into the meeting space yeah. or whatever right at 9 a.m. Right on the dot. You're number one hundred thousand or something or yeah. ten thousand in line, you know. And it's like, uh, well, and I mean, just to stay on that tip, like there's like. Uh, I, th- I forget what gestures or jokesters, one of them and it's something like that. And then they also have Walker stalker. So there's three cons going on during that same San Diego con. Plus all the, the gaslight is also like a corporate con. It's impossible to like find parking or lodging anywhere near downtown around San Diego con. Yeah. And I, and that's what I'm saying. It's like support domestically, you know, support locally because, I mean, really, do you want to, you know, do you want to have to deal with all those costs? I mean, if if you want to talk about just money, then put it down as that. Yeah. Be cheap like me and just figure a way, you know, that figure it out really when you get down to it, the mm-hmm. nitty gritty that almost all these events that I just mentioned have a ton of huge guests appearing and, you know, and a lot of great local businesses. So, and great out of town guests. And, on, and Adam. Oh, and me. And on that, we should probably wrap it up. Sounds oh, good. yeah. But yeah, thanks you guys for listening as always. If there's any events you think we should be aware of, let us know always on the website, cultfollowing.co. Full of cool reviews that we're trying to put at least one or two up every other day. Um, we And we're doing a lot of like upcoming reviews. Like We should have reviews of like uh, X-Men uh, Apocalypse within the next week or so, I believe. And A Civil War is coming up. Yeah, Civil War is coming up. We'll be happy to talk about that, too. And, you know, we're going to be at Phoenix Comic Con, as usual, doing our live podcast panel on Saturday, uh, September. (laughs) Saturday at 7 p.m., room 105 West. We will be doing a panel, and it will be called ah, 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 Slasher Films and Why We Love Them talking about uh what what it is that we love about those uh people with uh razor razor tip fingers and hockey masks what if i don't love them well we can talk about why we don't love them either it'll be a spirited conversation and another chance and why we watch them yes why we watch them what's the draw what's the interest is it the final girl is it the killer is it just the genre boobs yes boobs and gore yes boobs and blood Boobs and it's a Wayne formula. Yeah. And we will be, as usual, taping it. Our usual, our annual yearly live podcast. It'll be a lot of fun. These are always very lively. So check us out. We'll also be at the Phoenix Comic Con. We'll be at Mad Monster in two weeks, which will be a lot of fun. Hope, Hopefully we'll be doing something there. You know, we'll see. Um, Isn't it like a week away? Week and no, it's next week and then, so weekend after this weekend, yeah. So probably a little over a week away. Um, and if you're a fan of John Carpenter, we will be giving away tickets to see John Carpenter live in concert June 19th at Mad Monster Party. We will have a way for you to win passes to it, and we will also be doing that at our screening of Silence of the Lambs on May 21st, our usual monthly cult classics event. Thanks to our friends at Stateside Presents for letting us in on this promotion. Um, and yeah, Purple Rain this Saturday. Tickets at Zia Records. If you liked uh, obscure 80s films, 
will be showing Freaked at Jump Cut for only $7. Alex Winter, Mr. T. It's a lot of fun. Um, and that's only 7 bucks. Tickets, info, all on CodeClassicsAZ.com. Adam also has something he'd like to share. Oh, no, not at this moment. I'm going to do something later. Okay. But you you can share a general comment like ooh-ah or something. Uh, ooh-ah. There we go. Kirby, anything you'd like to plug? I really don't need to remember now. I'm so tired. I just got home late last night. It's all good. And then just worked a full day, and I talk enough. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> until next time, I'm one of your three hosts, uh, Victor Marino, along with Kirby. Happy Mother's Day. I love you more. And Adam Rukowski. What Kirby said. But with my mom. That's true. And actually, I rarely ever use the phrase mom. I'm very uh, uh, Norman Bates. Oh, mother. I love you, mother. Mater. <laughs> I love you, mater. So until next time, uh, stay dry and don't shower after midnight. I don't know. Take your vitamins. What you gonna do when we run wild on you, brother? That's what happens when bodies start slapping? Ooh, yeah. Dance hard or die. Snap into it.